This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. And good afternoon, Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. Linda is off this week, and well, I guess the big story of today, at least uh, for many people around the province, is the Royal St. John's Regatta. Um, I was actually down Lakeside uh, earlier this morning, and even just early on, you know, there's... I would estimate hun- estimate hundreds, even thousands of people were were cycling through. Um, lots of people down there, especially with the championship races. One person who has been down there all day long is VOCM's Brian Medor, and he joins me now live. Brian, good afternoon. Hi, Richard. Yeah, we have a pretty good story unfolding. Can you hear me okay there? Uh, yeah, you're uh, you're a little bit low, but I think we can hear you okay. What's going on? Okay, is that, how does this sound now? We're just uh, finishing a race here, and we have the uh, Chinese Association of Newfoundland and Labrador, and they're going to talk about their race. Obviously, this is the uh, first time in this race for uh, this particular crew. I was speaking with uh, regatta veteran Mike Power. He's been watching, I think, every race or every practice spin that you guys have had in time trial. And he says, when you started, I think he used the term, it uh, took like 20 minutes to get across the pond. And he said, uh, by the time, you know, the last few weeks or so, uh, he was quite impressed that you guys had come from a long, long ways. Uh, the coxswain, regatta vet, uh, Rich Bader, just tell me about it, Rich. Well, I mean, it's a brand new team. It's first time a Chinese first team ever out. They've been in history in that long and uh, Tom Charles, uh, Mike was right. It took us 20 minutes to get away from the war. It's a long roll. And they can, t- they can verify that, right? And then I uh, said, so just take your time, pace yourselves. We'll take it one day at a time. And they were patient with me, even though I was crooked. But uh, they, they just stuck to it, and they enjoyed it. And, and we knocked off a minute and 20 seconds from Tom Charles. <laughs> and, and the time today, you're, I think, about a minute behind the winning crew? Yeah, and we expected that anyway, yeah, because yeah. they were an experienced team, right? But we, all we wanted to do was break nine minutes, and we rode eight minutes. Yeah. That's a big improvement. As Mike said, major strides in a few weeks. We improved by a minute and 20 seconds. And you're almost under eight minutes. Yeah, it was like eight, just eight, 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 a few seconds, and, and that was that's it. A major so, girls, what got you interested in rowing? Any particular thing? I mean, you know, we're all proud Newfoundlanders Labradorians, and taking part in regatta as a uh, spectator has been like a huge part of our lives. So it's sort of the first time that was an opportunity to actually participate as a rower, so we all got really excited. And uh, as Richard said, you know, we were a trail mix of absolute strangers and beginners, and, and our first spin was June 15th, and we did our very best to knock him into the water, but him being very <laughs> experienced, he managed to stay in the boat. But, you know, I mean, like we made some excellent friends here, and this is a beautiful, elegant, and challenging sport. And it's no trouble telling why this is the longest-running community sport in North America, which is so proud to take part. Well, when I tried it in the media race, I mean, it, I knew it was tough. I found it ten times tougher than it looks. How did you guys find it? Well, we started, yeah. When we first started in late June or early July, we couldn't even, we don't even know how to hold them at all. And yeah, Richard used to be mad at us <laughs> because of that, yeah. And now look at where we are, we are getting somewhere. And we, I have to say that we challenge ourselves. And thank you, Richard. 
to um, have the patient to coach us. And we are so proud to be part of the team. And when uh, you did come to the regatta before this year, uh, would you come for the races or, let's say, for the, you know, the other attractions or, or both? Oh, definitely have, have. I mean, everybody in this area loves coming down the regatta just for, you know, the vendors and the concessions and, you know, watching it's a personal dream of mine to roll in regatta one day, and this crew made it a reality this year, so I'm, like, super, super happy. <laughs> when you started, Rich, did you ever think they would hit the eight-minute mark at the actual regatta itself? <laughs> Honestly? Truthfully? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I knew at the contract, because they the only area had a row in contrast. But I knew if we had two weeks ago, I knew they'd be, be row on eight. Definitely. And what did you have to do to get them to come that far? Mike Tower's been down here forever. Yeah, and, and he's like flabbergasted that they came that far. I guess I'm a toxin who believes in teaching how to roll first before you roll hard. Teach technique first, then you get fast. And I spent whole two weeks on technique because you weren't going to roll fast because you weren't conditioned to roll fast. But you roll technically well, and that's why they roll eight minutes. So what happens? Uh, are you guys going to stay together to try it next year, do you think, maybe? Is that chicken? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a well, here, yeah. Oh, hi. Hi. Um, I'm Brian Medora VOCM. Your name? Yeah, May. Okay, and the sponsor is. China. Oh, okay. Oh, Chinese Association. Yes, absolutely. And. Okay, good. Now, yeah. now I know the connections. And how do you feel about it? Very excited. Because every time we come, every year, just watch other people racing. Never imagine ourselves could be racing <laughs> off the lake. So that was a very cool experience. And we also made a great friend for the whole boat. We love sheep. Our sheep is great. Wow, congratulations. Appreciate it. Wow, big job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, VOCM's Brian Mador. Uh, an incredible story unfolding there. Yeah. Um, they, uh, yeah, rolling in eight minutes. Uh, well, pretty well, eight minutes flat. So that is a great story. Yeah. Um, just the other storyline, uh, Richard. The uh, I spoke to a few people who've been here for ever, and they've never seen a pond like this for so long. Like usually, you know, you'll have a calm pond in the morning, glassy pond, if you will, and then you know by lunchtime things the winds start to pick up. You get a bit of a lop. Uh, not today. It has just the pond conditions have just been ideal all day. Absolutely. We were down there earlier, Brian, and it's the same thing. You know, barely a breath of wind. It was just, like you said, perfect pond conditions. Um, we're coming up now on uh, our first break of the day, but Brian, um, still some big races coming up. We have the championship races coming up. Uh, just tell us what's going to be happening. Yeah, so we've uh, everything kind of went according to form. You never know exactly how these things are going to pan out, but the uh, top five, well, the five crews in the first men's race of the day, and the five crews in the first uh, women's race of the day, they are going to be in the championship races coming up at uh, six thirty and seven. So in the uh, senior men's category, it's going to be fine strokes, plaster, and painting. That essentially is outer cove. They won the race. Capital Home Hardware was second. 
NTV, the defending champs, two-time champs, came in third. Andrew McDonald, general contractor. Uh, they would be the real veterans. Are, uh, some of them are closing in on 50 if they're not 50. And East Coast Kia. And in the uh, women's championship race, it is going to be, boy, that was a close race. Hyphlodraulic winning by about a second over uh, uh, Noonan Piercy. Then you have Smith Stockley, Dot and Burke, and the Cal Group. They are going to be the championship contenders. The men go first this year at 630, the women at 7. There you have it, VOCM's Brian Medora. And, of course, we will have those results for you um, on air and online on VOCM.com. And, Brian, as I understand, we'll have some audio um, of the winners on the uh, uh, tomorrow morning on uh, your VOCM mornings as well. Oh, yeah, that comes uh, after the uh, races. We do a news conference in the winner's circle. Uh, fabulous creation, by the way. And uh, we'll have, uh, you know, audio from the uh, coxswains, the uh, crew members. And this is where you find uh, find out, Richard, what they really went through. Like uh, the winners last year, hyphlodraulic, you know, one person uh, had a baby during the, the whole training uh, experience. Uh, it, it was just that's where you learn the real human side of things is uh, at that post uh, championship race news conference. There you have it. VOCM's Brian Medora putting in the regatta day shift uh, today. Brian, thank you for this. Great you are. There you have it, VOCM's Brian Medor down lakeside at Kitty Vitty Lake for the Royal St. John's Regatta. We are going to continue with the regatta theme uh, coming up now in the next uh, little bit of the show. Uh, Brian actually mentioned the regatta winner's circle, just a, a really beautiful piece of architecture down there. Um, they actually won an award recently. Uh, the company that designed that won the award uh, for their, their work. Uh, we're going to have that interview coming up uh, for you now in a couple couple of minutes after the break this is news talk on vocm start your day off right get the latest updates on news traffic and weather conditions plus interviews with today's newsmakers your go-to source before you get on the go 5 30 to 9 a.m weekdays your vocm mornings and welcome back to news talk here on vocm well as we mentioned just before the break uh, we have vocm's brian Medora on uh, to give us the recap of the day so far down at the royal st john's regatta um, and we also mentioned the winner's circle, that beautiful piece of architecture that's down there that really, in, in the last couple of years, um, has become the centerpiece for festivities at the regatta. You know, that's where the winners gather, um, as the name would suggest, uh, for their photos and, and to be given their awards. Um, well, the company that designed that winner's circle just won an award. Um Tract Consulting has received the Canadian Society of, Land of Landscape Architects National Award for Small-Scale Public Landscapes. Um, and like we said, if you've been down there uh, at any point of the year, not just uh, on the day of the regatta, I mean, it's just an absolutely beautiful piece down there. Um, I caught up recently with the president of Tract Consulting, that's Neil Da, to chat about the award. Every year, the, the uh, Canadian Society of Landscape Architects Awards identifies varied categories for landscape architecture, planning, design projects uh, that companies from across the country can submit to be selected by a jury of our peers to determine uh, which uh, which of the projects stand out as being, you know, uh, I guess you'd say the best of the best uh, for that year across Canada. And this year there were. I think something like 53 uh, projects that were were submitted, 
and the category that uh, we applied for was uh, small-scale public landscapes, which is uh, what we how we, we would describe the uh, uh, St. John's Regatta Winter Circle. It is really quite a beautiful design. How much work went into creating the Winter Circle? Uh, it was a lot of work. The um, project actually originated from a master plan for the entire lake that we developed a few years ago in consultation with uh, a number of groups, uh, but in particular the City of St. John's and the Royal uh, St. John's uh, Regatta, um, working closely with uh, Mr. Lewis Stoyles and, and Charles Cook. Incredible. So how long did it take? Oh, geez. Uh, we were a uh, number of months uh, working on on the design. Uh, and once we had the concepts we were happy with uh, developed, uh, you know, they were reviewed by the Regatta Committee and the city. And uh, we had tremendous cooperation from all hands. And then once the concepts were developed then. Uh, we got into to doing the detailed design uh, to support uh, construction uh, and contract administration during the construction process. And we had uh, uh, Mr. John Barry was a great help to us in uh, in uh, helping provide oversight during the uh, during the construction process. What did you think after everything was all said and done and, you know, you got to see uh, the winner's circle become a focal point, I guess, of the races on, on Regatta Day? Well, it was, it was really great. Um, seeing the people uh, enjoy it so much during the event. Uh, the winners now have a, a beautiful facility uh, where they can go and, and receive their uh, award and recognition. Uh, it's kind of... Uh, reflective of the grand history of the place and in a design that's in many ways based on the, the sweep of Norris stroke. So it's, uh, you know, the design is reflective of the activity of, of rowing itself. And I guess now whenever you go down to Lakeside, you must see that and be quite proud. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're very pleased uh, with the design. Uh, we had a great team, uh, worked really, really hard on it, and uh, came up uh, quite nicely. Uh, one of the things uh, we like about it is, uh, you know, the, in the evening, uh, the lighting is, is quite lovely, and the stuff you can do now with the LED lighting makes it uh, much more versatile in what uh, how you can uh, use lighting to highlight uh, uh, landscapes. Uh, in the evening, and something we don't uh, we don't see a whole lot of that we hope uh, this development will spur seeing more of more of that around our beautiful city. Excellent, Neil Da. Thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on the award. And is there anything else uh, that you'd like to say about this now before I let you go? No, I, I'd just like to uh, recognize you know Jewel Bailey, a consultant who did the uh, uh, the uh, mechanical. Uh, structural engineering and uh, redwood construction did a, a great job building this and the support that we received uh, Lehman signs did the did the signage and lighting and uh, tremendous cooperation uh, from the city and the regatta committee of course is uh, doing great things to make Kitty Bay Lake an even greater place than it already is and 
you know, we uh, we got some more projects that uh, we're doing around the city that we might just apply for again and try our luck a second time. And there you have it. That is Neil Da, the president of Track Consulting. That was the company uh, really behind uh, the Regatta Winner's Circle. Um, and, of course, they just won that, uh, that national award from the Canadian Society of Landscape Architects. Um, so quite impressive uh, facility down there. And VOCM will be continuing with our regatta coverage uh, throughout the evening, uh, both uh, on air and online. And the next thing um, that people are really going to be watching for is, of course, the championship races uh, as we spoke a little while ago VOCM's Brian Medora is down at the lake uh, he has been there since 5 a.m. this morning god love him um, I know and I, like and he is so happy to be there there is no other place in the world Brian would rather be than down lakeside all day today watching the boats go up and down the lake oh th- this is this is better than Christmas day for Brian I mean yep. you get to be in the thick of it for sports unbelievable finds one thing that that uh, always really strikes me about the regatta. Um, we were down there earlier today, and we went down pretty early. We were there by like nine thirty, and even at that time, the crowds of people. Oh yeah. It, it, I it, it like I, and I know it's going to happen that way every single year, but it still blows my mind that the the size of the crowds are as consistent as they are mm-hmm. for for the entire day. And and like and it's but there's so many types of like there are people down there who are just fixated on the races and then there are other people down there who have no idea that there are boat races at the regatta they don't even Mm -hmm. pay any attention to they're there for the food or they're there for the game of chance the kids are there for the bouncy castles my kids eat their way around the pond that's their right they move from food truck to food truck to food (laughs) truck to ice cream truck to cotton candy to porta potties that's pretty well how it works down there for the kids uh they'll might watch a race mm-hmm. might now my wife rode a couple of years back um they and she loves watching the races she could care less about the food or the concession stand she's down to see who's gonna break a record or who's doing what so but yeah it's mm-hmm. so many different people make their way down to the regatta and i'd love to go down and i'm 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 the people watcher i just love watching all of the people around the pond well it's so interesting too because it, it you get people that that aren't just from st john's that aren't yeah. just newfoundlanders i mean there are people that come from over the country and the world come to the regatta to, to see it and, and you really get to see that down at the uh, down lakeside and, and and i love the way that you mentioned that your kids like to eat their way around the lake oh yeah today we sort of we we went down there with a plan uh we knew that we had to get uh lunch at the food truck Mm -hmm. and then we had to get mini donuts we had to get cotton candy and some drinks along the way and that was the game plan for the entire morning and everything else whether that be playing games or watching some of the races or whatever that went on the fly but that was the guarantee the food was the guarantee that we had to do yeah now when i was younger i got to uh, i my, my dad was a, a kinsman or so my mother was a kness and i always got roped into going down and working at a booth at some point mm-hmm. and spinning the wheel and i ended up being the guy who would be uh i guess obnoxious and screaming at people 50 cent holding up the wheel <laughs> that i got to be that guy for a day and yeah it, it, you know what even that was fun as much as i hated it when i was probably like 15 uh i i I grew to love it because it was just i got to goof around for a day and yeah harass people to give me money yeah absolutely (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh man, everybody has some sort of a memory of the regatta, especially if you live in the metro region. And like I said, we're going to be continuing our regatta coverage throughout uh, the evening here on VOCM. We're going to change uh, to a couple of different topics now coming up after the break and after we have the news with uh, Sarah Strickland. Uh, we're going to speak about uh, feeding wildlife at uh, Parks Canada facilities and we're also going to speak with the RCMP and Crime Stoppers uh, to talk about um, fake tips. Um, very recently, Crime Stoppers received some pretty serious uh, tips that turned out to be fake. Um, so I spoke with uh, Glenda Power of the RCMP and Rod Pike of Crime Stoppers to chat about that. We're just up against news time now with Sarah Strickland, but we'll be right back in a few minutes here on your VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. Welcome back to the program. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. And before we get in uh, to our next interview of the day, do you want to check in with today's VOCM News question of the day? Um, today, we're asking a new survey shows that the number of people in Newfoundland and Labrador who have access to a regular health care provider equals that of the national average. Are you surprised? And so far, uh, the results of today's question are almost split down the middle. Uh, the number of people saying yes to that question is 55%. Um, and no, uh, 45% of respondents say that they are not surprised. Um, you still have loads of time uh, that you can log on, vocn.com, and uh, give your opinion on today's question of the day. Now, the RCMP is sending a warning to potential tipsters after they say serious fake tips were received by Crime Stoppers. Glenda Power, Director of Strategic Communications with the RCMP and Crime Stoppers NL Board Chair Rod Pike uh, spoke with me earlier this week um, about what they're seeing. Uh, we, we would never be specific to any particular tips that came in. Uh, there are instances where people... And Glenda, you jump in when you can, uh, may try to skirt the uh, required law and procedures. So an example that we would give would be a caller who intentionally gives false information in order to direct the police away from a subject of a criminal investigation or prosecution. So they would maybe try to rely on the anonymity that Crime Stoppers provides to divert the police away from a legitimate investigation into something uh, maybe more nefarious. So uh, you can't use uh, the good intentions of Crime Stoppers to further a crime. And has this been more of a pro- more of a problem as of late? I don't uh, think it, I don't think it's more of a problem, but I believe any time it happens, it's a serious problem. For sure. And I'll jump in there now, Richard, if that's okay. Um, So when we issued our news release on Friday, there had been um, two different instances where a tip received through Crime Stoppers required an urgent police response uh, based on the tip. Once our police officers responded and determined the matter was likely a hoax, uh, we reported that to Crime Stoppers and uh, let them know what was happening. The really grave concern here is that 
when we have this information come in, we are sending significant police resources to an area based on the information received, and that could then impact our service to others in the area or the community. Yeah, so just talk a little bit about that. When such a tip is received, like how much resources does that tie up? It depends on the nature of the information that's received. So I'm not going to get into to the exact information that was shared, but certainly it was something that uh, required an urgent police response. Now, when our calls for service come in, when we get reports that require presence of police in a particular area, we triage those based on urgency um, and based on the, the needs of the community and what's happening uh, with with a particular tip that came in, we assessed that as a high priority, meaning that we were dispatching our police officers to an area uh, with a degree of urgency. And of course, that turned out to be a hoax based on false information. And Crime Stoppers is an excellent resource, and, and we work really closely. The RCMP and RNC work closely with Crime Stoppers. It's really unfortunate that maybe one person or or, or perhaps two uh, would use Crime Stoppers uh, in a way that presents danger, not just to the public, but to police as well, when we're responding to things that are based on real information. Now, Glenda, and Glenda and, and, oh, if, go ahead. If I can add in, Richard and Glenda, uh, and Glenda, I think you would agree, we're not referring here to someone who uh, has a concern about something happens and gives a tip and it ends up being... Uh, not a real concern. We're, we're speaking right. here about someone who intentionally is looking to mislead the police and cause a diversion for who knows what reason. Right. We're talking about intentional misinformation here. Right. Yeah, that's a real good point, Rob, because we we want to encourage everyone to keep submitting tips, you know, and then, then police would, would investigate the information that's coming in. And as Rod said, you know, if you have an idea that a crime is happening in your community, please call and let us know. Um, if that information uh, proves not to be fully supported by an investigation, then that's fine. We're still glad the tip came in. But as Rod said, it's the people who are being deliberately misleading and abusing the Crime Stopper system. And I guess another layer to this, too, would be if, like you said, a, a tip causes an urgent police response and that gets out into the community, then, then it would be causing perhaps undue fear in the community as a result as well. That absolutely could be the result. And of course, over the last couple of weeks, uh, the RCMP has had incidents where we are in instructing the public, for example, to remain in their homes and so on as we deal with, um, you know, investigations and police um, actions that are underway. So we only want to do that when it's absolutely necessary to do it, right? And any time there's, a, you know, a large police response, the public will have concerns. Now, perhaps Glenda or Rod, whoever wants to jump in here, but um, I know that there are uh, penalties if someone is found to have intentionally given a false tip. Uh, can you just explain uh, what the potential consequences are? Glenda, that would probably be more in your wheelhouse. But before you answer that, just let me say on our site, and I believe on most uh, sites for Crime Stoppers, 
we have this little note here, and it's important. In the event of an emergency, if you're the victim of a crime or if you witness a crime in action, always call 911. So Crime Stoppers is not meant to be uh, dealing with an urgent matter that is occurring right in the community right now. If you see a shooting or whatever and it's occurring, that's a 911 call. We want those. We want our tips to come in about unsolved cases or suspected criminal activity. But if something is in the in the moment, uh, that is a 911 call, and I think Linda, you would agree with that. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Also, you know, if people are making um, reporting um, false information uh, and deliberately reporting false information, then they could face charges. Uh, you know, that might include public mischief. Uh, it could include obstruction of justice, depending on what the motive of reporting false information is. But there's also the risk, um, and Rod could speak to this more clearly, of um, not having their anonymity protected through Crime Stoppers if we were to find that people were maliciously reporting false information. That That's correct. And Basically, uh, how we look at it, and I think how the courts look at it, is, is if you haven't acted in good faith. Right. So if a tipster's information turns out to be incorrect uh, in one or more respects, you know, of what they call, but they had good intentions, they're not in any fear of, of reprisal. But if, again, if they're doing something consciously that is to mislead the police, and who knows why that may be, if all the resources that Glenda and the RCMP or the RNC have are in the east end of the city while they're doing something in the west end, uh, you know, there, there's consequence to that. And people can be hurt, and, and obviously officers can be at risk. Uh, but when those matters happen, that isn't something that I think the RCMP or Crime Stoppers would adjudicate. That's going to be a legal matter. So a court would hear those matters and decide if, uh, you know, if it would go further than that. And we would also uh, look at that in terms of any charges that might be laid, of course. Yes, yeah. You would refer to the court, and then they, in turn, would make that decision, I understand. Okay. And, Glenda, one final point. Um, w with these recent incidents that prompted this um, this news release, do you anticipate charges to be laid? At this time, no. Um, but we're still looking at the information, uh, right? So we strongly urge um, people who are using Crime Stoppers to use it, as Rod said, in good faith. And to my understanding, that's been the overwhelming experience of people who are supporting police investigations and helping police through Crime Stoppers. They are doing so in good faith and are a great resource to the justice system. Um, and, you you know, we can't understate that and don't want to overshadow that by the actions of one of two, two people that were malicious. Yeah. Richard, if I can just add in, I guess it's a chance to let you and, and maybe the general public know a little bit about Crime Stoppers. Uh, it started in 1976, and the whole reason it started uh, was in New Mexico, there had been a shooting at a gas station, and a teenager was killed. And for six weeks, the police tried to solve that uh, homicide. And a local detective thought maybe the public knows more than they were sharing. So he uh, went to the local media, uh, the VOCM in their area, 
and they reenacted the crime. And within seventy-two, within twenty-four hours, they had a tip, and with seventy-two hours, the the crime was solved anonymously. So since then, uh, to our knowledge, no one has ever been uh, their anonymity has never been revealed. Uh, that this is international now; it's, it's across every continent, it's in every state and every province. So the 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 benefits of Crime Stoppers has been proven over and over and over. And just in this province, uh, we've recovered since we started here almost nine and a half million dollars worth of uh, illegal goods. Uh, we've had somewhere over almost half a million dollars in tips approved. People, even though people can get approved if they give a tip uh, for a reward, less than half of the people that do that ask for that tip. It's meant more to serve the community and to keep it safe. And, uh, you know, th- those, are, those are great numbers. I think around $2.6 million in property has been recovered. So the benefits of Crime Stoppers are there. Uh, as, as Glenda said, we work closely with the RNC and with the RCMP, with Department of Fisheries and other organizations as well. Um, we are independent from them, and we are kind of the intermediary between the public and the police. So people can come to us, give us their information with confidence, knowing that it's going to be confidential and their anonymity is protected. And there you have it. That was my conversation with Glenda Power, uh, Director of Strategic Communications with the RCMP, and Crime Stoppers NL Board Chair Rod Pike, uh, talking about fake tips that were recently received by Crime Stoppers, f- uh, fake serious tips that were received by them, um, prompting a, a, essentially a warning from the RCMP to people saying, hey, look, this is tying up police resources, and it could end up uh, with criminal charges. And one of the important points of that interview uh, that I think is worth repeating um, is that they're not talking about tips uh, that come into Crime Stoppers that turn out not to be, uh, you know, that there's nothing happening. If the person is tipping off, sending a tip into Crime Stoppers and is good intentioned, um, then that person will not get in trouble. What they're speaking about here um, is about tips that are being sent in that are Malicious. Malicious, and they're looking to intentionally mislead police. Right? So just, you know, don't be at us. Don't send in fake tips. Long story short. You go. I, I like that. Just don't be at us. Don't be there at you us. have it. All right. And uh, we're going to go to our next break here on the program. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk to Parks Canada about feeding wildlife um, and um, maybe why you shouldn't be doing that as well. Uh, that's coming up in just a few minutes here on News Talk. Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration shows, and new music. Tune into Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in with you this afternoon. And, well, the summer weather is attracting many people to popular hiking trails and parks, but that also means that there's an increased risk of human interaction with wild animals, such as foxes. Parks Canada has been long uh, has long been telling people not to be feeding the wildlife, and in fact, up on Signal Hill, there's now a big sign uh, reminding people not to be doing that. I reached out to Laura Collier, uh, manager of research resource con- con- conservation, pardon me, uh, with Parks Canada to talk about feeding the wildlife and what risks that poses. We're into that super busy time of year again with loads of people out in Parks Canada spaces, including up on Signal Hill. Uh, What should people know about interacting with and feeding wildlife? 
I think um, most importantly, people should, as a start, kind of have that idea that when they're in those spaces, that it's a have a shared space mindset, that these areas are also habitat for wildlife, and to have an awareness of that when they're visiting those places. Um, one of the really important things to do, whether you're visiting Signal Hill or maybe out on a trail in Terranova National Park, is to have the mindset of pack in, pack out. So if you have any garbage with you or uh, you want to make sure that you, you don't leave any of that behind, as well as use any of the uh, provided bins and things like that to dispose of your garbage. Um, of course, we don't want anybody to ever entice or entice wildlife with food or feed or feed wildlife. This can have really damaging consequences for for wildlife and be dangerous for humans as well. Um, and also, if you do have the opportunity to see wildlife in these spaces, to to keep your distance. Um, that's that's the safest safest thing for both us and for the wildlife. Now, some people might think if they're up in one of these spaces, such as Signal Hill, and they see wildlife, such as a fox, they yeah. might think that giving them a bit of food is harmless. Why is it not? Why is that not the case? Right. Um, so I would just start by saying that foxes are excellent hunters and scavengers and there's more than enough food up in signal hill or any other place like you know in our protected areas to to support these animals um feeding wildlife or feeding foxes can affect their wild behavior so it influences their ability to to hunt it influences their ability as well to teach their young how to hunt and so if pups um, become poor hunters in the future they're less likely to survive um it also feeding wildlife, especially around roadways, roadways um, increases, encourages foxes to approach humans, and so it also encourages them to approach roadways, and so this actually increases their risk of um, road mortality. So. Um, there's kind of this element of both interference with their natural behavior as well as increasing their risk to to things like road mortality. Do you hear of interactions between humans and animals uh, happening happening often? Um, I must say this year has been a has been a good year. Um, we're we're getting observations from folks of certainly that they're seeing wildlife in these places, which is normal, which we would expect because it's their habitat. Um, but you know, occasionally we do get observations of um, of when animals are food conditioned. So um, if an animal is, you know, following a human or doesn't seem to be scared when they, or kind of go off into the woods when they do interact, that is an indication that they may be food conditioned. Um, And I must say that uh, we're not receiving, um, the majority of observations that we're receiving this year do not indicate that. Which is a relief to us. (laughs) How does Parks Canada monitor or try to mitigate this activity? Yeah, so we have a variety of uh, tools that we can use to communicate with the public on, you know, not feeding wildlife and kind of safe behavior around wildlife. Um, we have a lot of material on on Parks Canada's web uh, around that. Uh, we regularly use social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter to get messages out about that. Um, we do interviews like this conversation that you and I are having, and where we feel it's necessary, we'll also put up signage. And you can you can certainly see that there is signage in places like Signal Hill where we need 
to where we feel like it's it's important to remind visitors um, to not feed wildlife. We also have in places um, like in Toronto National Park, we have compliance staff, folks that rove around and communicate that messaging messaging directly to visitors. Um, you know, most time people are, are really doing their due diligence and they and they really care about these places that they're in and they're um, but occasionally they might accidentally leave, you know, food behind at a campsite or whatever. And so we just have conversations with folks and remind them that, you know, to, to keep their space tidy and to not leave food rewards behind unintentionally. Yeah, and on the signage point, actually, I was up on Signal Hill the other day, and I noticed what I think is a, a fairly new sign, actually a big one that uh, has a picture of a fox on it, and it says, uh, don't feed, feed the wildlife. So Yeah, and we find that those signs are effective. It's a really good reminder um, that it is illegal actually to to entice or to feed wildlife in a national park or a national historic site and you could be um you could be fined um because of that behavior so and um and it's 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 important to kind of provide that messaging to folks in those places where we do know that uh animals like foxes are frequenting that area what are the fines my understanding is that they're in the range of two to three hundred dollars, but I would have to check with law enforcement to uh, our, our, our Parks Canada wardens would know that much better than I. But I think that it's around that ballpark. And now talking about uh, foxes specifically, I know it was either last year or the year before uh, Par- Parks Canada uh, had an initiative where uh, you trapped some foxes that were up on Signal Hill and, and moved them. Um, what do we know about the fox population on Signal Hill right now? Well, we don't have specific numbers for the foxes on Signal Hill, but what we do know is that um, it's excellent habitat for foxes. We expect to see them there on a yearly basis because it is great habitat for them. Uh, We are getting observations of, you know, maybe um, a few animals up in that area. Um, Last year, we knew we had three animals that were were frequenting the area consistently. So we had really good sense of the the numbers that were were coming up to that top parking lot area. So we know that there's a couple of animals that are being observed. But overall, we think that there's probably just in general a healthy population for the Signal Hill and broader general area. Yeah, again, just uh, I really want to thank folks actually for their diligence when they do come to our 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 protected areas. Um, most people have the well-being of wildlife front and center in their mind, and so we want to thank you for that and to keep modeling that behavior um, and just kind of remind folks that to keep keep the wildlife wild. So try not to uh, try to be able to um, be in, be in, enjoy these places, recognizing that these places are also habitat for for a variety of wildlife. And there you have it. That was Laura Collier, uh, Manager of Research or Resource Conservation with Parks Canada, uh, speaking about um, why you shouldn't be feeding the wildlife up on Signal Hill or in any other of the Parks Canada spaces. Um, that just about wraps up today's program. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Uh, before we go, just want to remind as well that uh, VOCM's Brian Medora is down at Lakeside for the Royal St. John's Regatta today. He's been there since 5 a.m. And uh, he is watching the races. And coming up uh, very shortly will be the championship races. The first one gets underway at 6.30. I believe that's the men's race. uh, Followed then at 7 o'clock by the women's race. And we will have the results of uh, both the men and the women's races coming up uh, throughout the evening uh, on VOCM and also online at VOCM.com. That just about does it for me today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm back tomorrow here on News Talk. Thank you to Fonz for producing. Have a great day, everyone.